Well, if you'd like to join us in the text, we read earlier Exodus 33, and I'm especially looking at verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and compassion upon whom I will have compassion. We've seen how Israel has been delivered from bondage in Egypt. Uh, She has been brought under the leadership of Moses to the foot of Mount Sinai. And there in Exodus uh, 19 through 24, there is a covenant made with Israel called the Old Covenant. It includes the Ten Commandments in chapter 20 and ethical requirements which are really extensions of the Ten Commandments in uh, chapters 21 through 23. Then in 24, a final ritual is observed. They, they kill the oxen and sprinkle the blood. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's compared, Jeremiah 31 says, I brought you out of Egypt. I was a husband to you. So this covenant in Exodus is like a marriage covenant. And so what do you do after you, have a, after you do the marriage covenant? Well, then you have the reception where everybody's eating and drinking. And, um, and that's what it says in Exodus 24 is that they took representative elders from Israel and Moses and Aaron, they all went up to the top of the mountain and they ate and drank. That's the reception. That's at the end of the covenant-making ceremony. And they saw God, which that is a shocking statement. But when you get married, you can see each other if you get my drift. If you don't get my drift, ask me after the service. So... There's a marriage being formed here and uh, this, the Ten Commandments were audibly spoken by God according to Exodus 19 and 20. And now Moses goes up to get the rest of the covenant and he's up there 40 days. And my understanding of the chronology is that He's gone during that whole month, more than a month, and the people become restless. And so chapter 32, verse 1, the people saw Moses was so long in coming back from the mountain that they gathered around Aaron and said, Come and make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. He's been gone so long and no explanation. So they told Aaron, make us, make us gods 
So Aaron said, give me all your gold and silver and jewelry. And, and he melted it down and made a golden calf. Now this was a bull, is one of the uh, animals that Egyptians worshipped. So they made this golden calf. And I know it didn't actually surprise God, but he seems surprised. Exodus 32, 7, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, you need to go back down because your people <laughs> whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Uh, it, it reminds me of when uh, Bud would bring home his report card and Jan would get it first and she'd show it to him and say, your son has brought this home. So the Lord said, your people, Moses, have become corrupt. Exodus 32, 35 says, and so he sent a plague among them. He sent a judgment, a pestilence. And then in Exodus 33, if you want to look at this passage, then the Lord said to Moses, this is right after he sent the plague, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go to the land I promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Exodus 33, 2. I will send an angel before you. Drive out the Canaanites. Verse 3. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. He told them, look, you got this golden calf? And he plagued them. And he, uh, and he said to Moses, I'm not going with you on this journey. Count me out. I'll send an angel to help you along the way. But you've chosen another God. So what's so bad about this golden calf? Uh, why is God uh, seem, seemingly abandoning his people? Uh, two or three quick reasons. One, uh, remember they just made a covenant, like a marriage covenant. So that's one thing. Um, there was a discussion online some time ago that I, I was reading through, and a question was sent in. Um, this couple had just got married, and they were going to Paris, Paris, France, on their honeymoon. And so... The, the, the groom had asked his mother to go with them because, as he told the bride, she's never been to Paris and it would be a nice a trip for her as well. And so they were getting responses. Should the mother ever go on your honeymoon? And the answers across the board were, no, <laughs> not one person said, oh, yeah. One person said uh, the bride should say to the husband, well, you and your mother have a nice trip, but I'm not going. What about if the husband wants to take another woman on the honeymoon? If you can't take your mama, you sure ain't going to take another woman. And that's what Israel has done here. 
They've barely come off hearing the Ten Commandments and saying in Exodus 24, I do. They did say that. All that he has spoken, we will do. They just had the reception in 24. And, and within a month, they're being unfaithful to their God. On the honeymoon. Plus, you have to remember also, they'd seen all these miracles. They knew the God of heaven and earth was the Lord of all. He'd sent the ten plagues. He'd split the, wall, the Red Sea open. He'd provided manna back in chapter 18. He'd, he'd brought water out of the rock already. And in third, remember they had heard God's promises. In chapter 19, you'll be a special people to me, a treasured possession. Uh, although all the earth is mine, you'll be a royal priesthood. So they'd had all these promises, seen all these miracles, had just made a covenant, and now they've got a mistress. So the Lord even says to Moses, Exodus 32, 10, Moses, leave me alone. My anger will burn against them and I'll destroy them and I will make you into a great nation. Now that sounds like a good deal. Instead of the children of Abraham, they'd be called the children of Moses. But you know, most people think that was a test of Moses. Like, Moses, what do you think of this? And I hope you'll say no. And Moses did say no. Um, it, and Moses prayed. Moses interceded. He says, remember this is your people and remember that the Egyptians are going to hear about this. So, and so God forgives them. Let me read chapter 33 and verse 13. Here's what Moses says. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you and find favor with you. Remember this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, now notice, chapter 33, verse 14. My presence will go with you. Wow, that was quick. My presence will go with you. In other words, I changed change my mind. We will go with, I will go with you. I'll say, okay, angel, I'm going to go myself. You don't have to go. How quickly God responded to the prayers of Moses. How much more eager and vigorously and immediately does he respond to the prayers of Jesus on our behalf? If this is how quick he forgives in the Old Testament with Moses as the intermediate is the mediator, how much quicker will he forgive in the new covenant with Jesus as the mediator? The moment you pray, Jesus carries that request to the Father and grants you forgiveness. Hebrews 9:24. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, 
which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, intercedes on our behalf. So God tells them three things. One, he says, he will go with them. Verse chapter 33 and in verse 14. My presence will go with you. Second, he says, he will have mercy on them. Chapter 33 and verse 18. Verse 18. Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and proclaim my my name the Lord. And I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. So he says he will have mercy upon those whom he will have mercy upon. Maybe a couple of comments here. Um, They did not deserve mercy. That's the definition of mercy, isn't it? You don't deserve it. None of them deserved mercy. So far as we text indicates, they were all involved in the golden calf incident. So God says, I will bestow mercy upon whom I will bestow mercy. This is what we would call sovereign mercy. In other words, no one deserves it, so everybody gets justice. Unless, except for those he gives mercy. God is not wrong to do justly. Amen? If he does justice and brings judgment, then he's not wrong. He's just not merciful to those whom he does not show mercy. But where is the wrong in God? To show mercy is the amazing thing, not to show justice. I heard about a woman who went to Kmart to get her picture taken, and uh, there was a line forming, and and she was pretty particular about her picture, and uh, um, the guy took it and brought it to her and said, so... She said, oh man, can you do that again? Because this picture just doesn't do me justice. And he said, lady, what you need is mercy, not justice. (laughs) I thought, amen, that's what I need. Man, don't give me justice. Justice would put me into eternal judgment without a plea. Now, it's interesting that Paul quotes this verse, uh, I, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. In Romans chapter 9, verse 17, the scripture said to Pharaoh, I've raised you up for this purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so... He says, therefore God has mercy on whom he will have mercy and hardens whom he will harden. Then Paul says, Romans 9, 19, one of you will say, well, why does God judge us? Why does he blame us? 
For who can resist his will? And Paul says in Romans 9.20, Who are you, old man, to talk back to God? In other words, there's a point at which when we try to understand the mercy of the mystery of salvation, there's a point at which we need to stop talking and say, okay, I have, God has bestowed mercy on me. My heart is not hard. I plead with God for forgiveness. I worship when his name is exalted. I am humbled by his forgiveness. I don't understand it. See, and so we have to avoid the absence of mystery. It's not enough to say, well, the reason I'm saved and, and somebody else is not is I believed and they didn't believe. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you're saved through faith and that is not of yourself, but the gift of God so you won't boast. He's removed all grounds for boasting by in his sovereignty and his majesty and his glory, he has bestowed mercy, not on all, but on some. And guess what? You're among them. That's where you need to settle right there. That's the highlight of this is I got mercy. Whatever else happens in my life, it doesn't, it's irrelevant. I got mercy through Jesus Christ. My heart is not hard. Somehow God saw it. And it's, it's not, he says, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. So that the explanation must always be re, re, revert back to his will, not mine. My, my will is not irrelevant. My will is secondary because his will produces my will and my faith. Leave the mystery in it, dear people. Highlight the willingness of God to show mercy to any of these people. Would you be so quick to forgive a spouse on your honeymoon who within a few short hours was cavorting with another man? Would not justice be called for? Abandonment? Annulment? Let us praise him for the riches of his mercy. That's all I'm saying. And so he says... He will go with them, verse 33, 14. He says he will show mercy in 33, 19. And he does the third thing. He renews the covenant. This was what you have in chapter 34, 34 verse 1. God says, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words on the first tablets which you broke. So now he's saying, all right, we're going to start over. Make another set of the Ten Commandments. Ah, that's a good sign. And then look down in verse 10. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Now this is the next covenant because the first one, they reneged on. Moses broke them. 
He said, well, this time, he says, now I'm making a covenant with you, verse 10. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. Remember, this promise is to a people who just a few hours ago was worshiping at another altar. He said, now I'm going to renew the covenant. So make another set of Ten Commandments. And here's a promise. I'm going to do wonders never before done. Remember Joshua, he made the sun stand still. He says, um, the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Verse 10. Then verse 11. Obey what I command you and I will drive out the Amorites and the Canaanites and Hittites and so on. So God is not only going to go with them, he's going to show mercy, and now he's going to renew the covenant. He's going to start over. They're going to renew their vows. And actually, it's a happy ending here in the book of Exodus. Moses comes off the mountain, and his face, this is in chapter 34, Verses 29 to 33. He's so happy. His face is shining so bright. Have you ever seen somebody smiling and, and, and is described as beaming? It was, he was beaming. Moses was beaming so intensely that they had to put a veil on his face. <laughs> I've never seen somebody that happy before. Man, dude, put a veil on it. And then he tells the people what God had said and they're so happy and they start to build the tabernacle. Moses said, all right, so let's get a place. Let's start again on the house. We're all, we're, we're going to live in this house. God's going to build a tabernacle. He's given me instructions to do it. So, but I'm going to need money. So in Exodus 36, Moses tells them, bring me gold and silver so we can put together the furniture and the items of the tabernacle. And so they did. Exodus 36 verse 6 says that they brought so much money, so much gold and silver that Moses had to say, please, you got to stop. This is too much. (laughs) <laughs> that's something else I've never seen. I pass, I've pastored a long time and I've never seen people bring their offerings with such vigor and robustness that I finally had to stand up and make a special announcement. Dear people, stop bringing your money. We've got all we can handle here. <laughs> it's never happened to me. It's a good idea. So if, you, if you want to surprise me, it should happen to every pastor before he dies. Moses smiling, beaming, radiant, the people giving so much money, they're so happy. And they finished the tabernacle in the last chapter of Exodus says in verse 39 and 40, the glory of God came in so intense, Moses could not even enter into the tabernacle. Couldn't even go in. So intense. 
It's like a man walking on the surface of the sun. Can't get close. I mean, when God came in, and he came in his fullness. The book of Exodus ends there. And I thought, what a happy ending. What a wonderful way to end a book. From the bondage in Egypt to the glory in the tabernacle. Happy pastor, happy people, a, and a completely built tabernacle for God to dwell in in their midst. And I thought, if the old covenant, with all of its contingencies and details and minutia and conditionality, if the old covenant can produce such a happiness at its conclusion of Exodus. How much more will the new covenant through Jesus Christ produce for his church? I want to tell you, my friend, God is saving the best for last. And if the old covenant can make you this happy and this generous, what should the new covenant be through the Lord Jesus Christ? So I'm happy today. I don't need a veil at this point, but I'm very happy. And you know what it's time to do? Receive the offering. Hello. (laughs) Come on now. Write some checks to Jesus. (laughs) All right. But you guys come. Let's sing. And, uh, oh. And uh, ushers, you come. Let me pray over our offering today.